At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It is Stu back in our home, my wife's home studio with a fancy pink sign behind me. Uh, it is uh, going to be an interesting one today. We are in uh, February in Texas, which I think means we should just shut the state down. Uh, apparently, no one no one can do anything in Texas. Nothing works. We're just going to we're going to skip February. Is there, um, you know, people come south for the winter? Maybe we should just, seconds. you know, have a have a version of that in Texas. Where I don't know, we go to South Texas, uh, we go to Florida, uh, Arizona. I don't know what we're supposed to do, but apparently uh, the society cannot operate in this current structure. Uh, welcome to the program, Glenn. Is uh, I don't know, maybe joining us at some point today. We're we're going to we're going to see how that goes, um, as he's having some technical difficulties at his house. So it's me, Stu, and we will uh, get through it together and look at all the big news stories of the day. There's a lot of them, and we'll be starting that here in just about uh, 20 seconds or so, or 15 seconds, as she just said. We'll be back just in a couple of seconds and give you all the details of what you need to know today. Thanks for joining the Glenn Beck program. It's Stu. We'll be back in a second. Joining you from the winter wonderland of Dallas, Texas, it's Stu. Glenn is going to be here as well, depending on his technology requirements. Joining us as well today uh, to take you through all the big stories of the day, Kevin McCarthy is going to visit the White House. It's going to be an exciting one. Will Joe Biden remain awake for the entire meeting? We'll speculate on that question here in just a second. So what is the value of $20? How far is that going to get you these days? Maybe not too far with a lot of things, but if I can convince you that it might change your life if you're one of the millions of Americans who live with frequent and debilitating pain. Would it be worth it? Because 20 bucks will get you a trial pack of Relief Factor. And if you're anything like me, once you try Relief Factor, you're going to get your life back. 70% of the people who try it go on to order more. So if you or somebody you love is dealing with pain, Please give Relief Factor a try. It's not a drug, but it was developed by doctors and had four key ingredients that will fight inflammation, which is causing most of our pain. Three-week quick start, now $19.95. It's a trial pack, so try it now. 70% of the people, are you part of the 70% that got their life back? ReliefFactor.com. Call 1-800-4-RELIEF. 1995, three-week quick start. ReliefFactor.com. Feel the difference. 
So Kevin McCarthy, the brand new speaker of the House, is going to be going to visit Joe Biden today at the White House. Uh, in his first visit, at least uh, since all of these changes happened past, uh, after this past election, um, he's looking to talk debt limit. And this has been a fascinating back and forth. And I say fascinating, not in the sense of like the Super Bowl is fascinating or the Kardashians are fascinating. I mean, Washington fascinating. The fascinating that bores everybody to tears, but is really important and may just ruin your life. That type of fascinating. You know, that... It's like there's there's things that they say in Washington, like we need a quorum call, and you realize the most boring. Uh, let's talk about tort reform. These things are incredibly boring, but make an incredible difference to your life, and that's that's really sad. You'd like the exciting things to matter. The exciting things don't seem to matter. The boring things matter, and one of the most boring things you can talk about is the debt limit. Now, the debt limit is something that we've established long, long ago. For what reason? Why did we do this in the first place? The debt limit is something that should kind of be a big highlighted sentence on everybody's radar that says, hey, when you hit the debt limit, that's supposed to tell you something. It's supposed to give you information. It's not just a big number. It's not just how we learn the next in the sequence of Illion numbers, oh, million, billion, Trillion, quadrillion, quintillion. How do we know the next one? Well, probably the debt limit is going to teach it to us. That's, that's how we learn things. That's how we learn math in this country. It's not just that, though. It's supposed to give us a giant sign on the side of the highway that says, hey, guys, you're going too fast. There's a giant brick wall ahead, and maybe we should slow down a little bit. It's not just a number. Yet Washington seems to treat it just as a number. Now, Kevin McCarthy is going to go to the White House today, and he's going to look to try to secure some sort of spending cuts. He wants the, the Democrats to sign off, because they're going to need to in the Senate and, and, of course, the president, to cut some spending in exchange for extending the debt limit. Because we've already passed the debt limit. We're now in that situation where they do fancy accounting that buys... The United States of America, the number one economy in the, in the world, buys us something like five or six months uh, before we actually start defaulting on stuff. And it's, it's fascinating to watch this happen. Don't you wish you had these tricks? Why don't we have these accounting tricks? I want these accounting tricks too. I want to be able, when I can't pay a bill, to just say, look, we're going to move money around in ways that you don't really understand that aren't really going to affect us but it's going to give us six more months to pay that bill. Where's my opportunity to use those tricks? I, I would love to, to figure that out. But we don't have those tricks. Well, we have those tricks. We just go to prison if we use them. They don't. They, they just write letters to each other telling them, we're, we're using extraordinary circumstances, extraordinary accounting measures to make sure we can pay our bills. Now, the media is looking at this and saying, this is all Republicans' fault. This is the fault of the Republicans. We, for years and years and years, have come together when it comes to the debt limit. And we've said, boys and girls, we're just going to agree that we're going to go deeper into debt. You know, 20 years ago, we just agreed we would go deeper into debt. And then 
Ten years ago, we just agreed we would go deeper into debt. And why won't the Republicans this time just agree that we're going to go deeper into debt? Isn't that a great solution? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just came together and said, yes, we'll print more money. Yes, we'll borrow more money from China. Yes, we'll continue this irresponsible pattern of behavior that got us to this moment. Of course we will. We'll agree to that over and over and over again in perpetuity. Why would we change? We've done it before. That's a good question. It's a good question. You know, the debt limit at some level is like a hangover. You have a late night. You drink far too many shots. Fireball, at the moment, seemed like a good idea at 2.15 a.m. Why not a couple of shots? Everyone's really happy. Everyone's into this night. Let's go for it. Couple more shots of fireball. What could possibly go wrong? And the debt limit serves as that hangover headache that next day. Sure, you can push through it. Sure, you can go out drinking that next night. If everyone just agrees to make those decisions once again, we can be back at that bar the next day at 2.15 in the morning doing another round of fireball shots and expecting different results in the morning. That hangover headache gives you that reminder. The reminder to say, wait a minute, should we examine our behavior this time? Is this the moment that maybe we should make a decision that results in us in a different place other than that bar stool. That's what the debt limit is. If the debt limit is just a number that we bump into and then all agree to pass it again, we're just drunks. We are a country of drunks. Drunks that go back to the bar and do another round after another round after another round and then regret it in the morning, but push through it because that's just the way life is. And guess what happens? Eventually, main major organs that you need stop playing along. That's where this goes eventually. Eventually, you get to a place where organs shut down and someone's writing your obituary. And that's not a fun place to be. And it's funny because it doesn't even happen like that typically. It's not like you go out one night, you have too many drinks, you have a hangover, and then you drop, you, you, you fall over. Sometimes that does happen. And it does. Sometimes really bad uh, uh, outcomes will result from that behavior. But usually what happens is you have warnings. Usually what happens is you go to the doctors and they say, how much are you drinking? Usually what happens is that that hangover costs you maybe a job one day. Maybe your personal life starts falling apart. Maybe uh, you have a, a test that comes back with really weird numbers that you don't understand and you realize you're on a bad physical path. That's where we are in this country. What do you think this period of the last couple of years when it comes to inflation, what do you think that was? That was... I've got this weird pain in my side and I'm not sure what it is. Maybe I go to the doctors and the doctor says, hey, I think you've been drinking too much, buddy. That's what this inflationary period was. It was the body of our country, our economy, saying, guys, you've gone too far here. You guys are drunk. You're drunk every night. And you better come up with a way to solve this problem or eventually... 
down the road somewhere. We don't know if it's six months away, six years away, 30 years away. But sometime in the somewhat near future, organs fail and you collapse. And that's what the debt limit is supposed to do, to give us that reminder that, hey, if you guys don't change your behavior, this whole thing is going to fall apart. And the media is looking at this and just saying, hey, why don't you guys just sign on? Why don't Republicans just go along with this? Why doesn't everyone just work together to continue our behavior? We need the person, we need Uber to come in to get the guy to the bar. We need the bartender to, even though he kind of realizes this guy's a regular, he drinks too much, has a real problem, let's serve him again the next day. We need the spouse to kind of look the other way. Everyone kind of has to look the other way while this country continues down this road of alcoholism when it comes to debt. And the debt limit is there as our, really our one opportunity to be able to do something about this problem. Are we going to do something about it? McCarthy is going to the White House today, and the back and forth has been fascinating. First of all, the Democrats and the media, in unison, as usual, in lockstep, saying the exact same things as if they're on the same group text, saying basically, the, the Republicans are irresponsible here. They are causing this problem. They should just go along with this and continue voting for the debt ceiling because we've all done it before. We've all worked together before. Let's continue to raise the debt ceiling with no changes whatsoever. And Kevin McCarthy, who, by the way, you know, look, we have lots of complaints about Kevin McCarthy. We have complaints about the way the Republicans performed in this previous election. Should have been a bigger win. But it is important to note that the House is under Republican control. The people of the United States of America, not exactly in overwhelming numbers, but came to the polls and said, we want Republicans in charge. We want them to be able to push back a little bit on, on this Biden administration and what they're doing. I think we've all internalized this massive loss from that election, and that's not entirely insane to do so. But it is also not reality. The reality of the situation is, the Republicans won the House. And what can they do with that power? They can sit back and do nothing. They can complain about stuff, of course, and they'll do a lot of that. But they can also, number one, do investigations, like, for example, on the origins of COVID-19, on where all of our spending went over the past few years when it comes to covid Five, six trillion dollars. How much of that was wasted? They can do investigations like that. And then they can do stuff like this. They can sit back and say, hey, we need to make some changes. We need to change our lives. We've been in the bar too long. We need to change. We need to do something to make sure our country changes the path we're on because the path we're on is destructive. It's personally destructive behavior. And we need to change that. We need to do something about it. So, Kevin McCarthy says, look, we want to negotiate. We want to change some stuff. Let's do something here that will make this, the future spending of this country a little bit better. Maybe some limits here and there. Maybe some spending cuts. 
Maybe just some cuts in the spending increases. Something. Something to tell the American people that we're addressing this problem. Something to say, hey, you know what? We're going to show up to work tomorrow after the, after the all-night bender. We might not be getting sober. No one's, no one's even suggesting sobriety here. We don't even have a party that suggests sobriety anymore. All we're doing is saying maybe don't take the last fireball shot before we walk out the front door of the bar. That's all we're trying to get here. And McCarthy says, look, I want to be able to negotiate this. Let's come together and find a couple things that we can agree on. What's ridiculous? I'll give you an example. COVID-19 spending. There's a bunch of extra money out there. Extra spending. Extra COVID-19 money. Money that was designated for testing or whatever else. Some of the stuff not even related to COVID. But it's just in this big pile that states are just figuring out what to do with now. They're like, well, let's try stuff. Rhode Island, you know what they're doing with it? They have 10 million extra dollars for COVID. You know what they're doing? Reparations. Slavery reparations. They've decided to take COVID-19 money and turn it into slavery reparations. That's where we are in this country right now. So we have one side saying, let's negotiate. We have one side saying, we're not going to negotiate. You should just go along with our current path. And then we have the media. We'll get into what the media is trying to do in 60 seconds. There is a reason Blinds.com has over 40,000 five-star reviews. It becomes obvious when you see how their window treatments can give your home that New Year look. And the best part? Blinds.com makes it incredibly affordable at the same time. So if you're ready to make that noticeable difference in your home, the way it looks, Blinds.com is your one-stop shopping for anything and everything to do with window treatments. Blinds, drapes, shutters, even really cool stuff like motorized shades. You'll find it all at Blinds.com. And if you need help measuring or installation, they'll do that too. Everything is backed by Blinds.com's 100% satisfaction guarantee. Shipping is also always free, so shop now and save up to 40% site-wide. Up to 40% off everything right now at Blinds.com. It's Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. 10 seconds, station ID. So we're looking at the debt ceiling situation. McCarthy going to the White House today. God only knows if Biden's going to even remain awake for this meeting. Who knows? But that's not even what's important here. As you're looking at what the media is doing, it's fascinating because they're saying, number one, Republicans should just get on board. They should just vote for these spending increases. They should vote to go past the debt ceiling. Just raise it. What's the big deal? Just raise the debt ceiling. We don't want to risk catastrophe. And why are we getting, every, you're just supposed to go along with this. So therefore, if you don't, you're just playing politics. Now, what we've seen over the past couple of days is a total switch. Now, the, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all these big media institutions have just started echoing, of course, yet again, as if they're on the group text, the same thing the White House is saying, which is now they're trying to demand details from McCarthy about what they want to cut. Now, 
if you're saying it's okay, if we're going to have catastrophe, if that's what we face, why are the Republicans the only one who, ones who have to do anything? The Democrats are saying they, Joe Biden is saying he will not negotiate over this. It's the most important thing in the world. It's the most important thing any of us could ever imagine. It could shut down our entire economy. Also, we won't negotiate about it at all. Also, we won't have conversations about it at all. Also, we're going to completely ignore basic requests about how we can solve this impasse. And the media is carrying the water for this. They came out and said, well, of course he shouldn't negotiate. Of course they shouldn't do that. This is something that the left and the right always agree on. And now they're changing their tone to say, well, they, won't, they don't even have an idea of what they want. Well, how do you know if they have an idea about what they want unless you'll talk to them about it? The Biden administration is saying they will not negotiate under any circumstances. But also, can you believe these Republicans? They don't even have a plan about what they want. Well, what's your plan? Your plan is to ignore everything they ask for, no matter what it is. You've said already you will not talk to them about this stuff. Now, you can see the wall starting to crumble a little bit here as this is going on today. Maybe the Democrats are realizing they're in a situation where they do need to talk. But at the end of this road is, in theory at least, real economic trouble for us. And it's silly to believe that we should go down this road. If you don't, if you just want to be able to spend whatever you want to spend, then have the balls to step up and say, we want to get rid of the debt limit completely. Run that by voters. See what they say. See how that works for you in the next election. Give it a shot. Just say you don't want it anymore. The left won't do that because they know how that sounds to the American people. We don't want any credit limit. How would that sound to American Express or Visa if you asked for it? You know what? And I know American Express has no preset spending limit. Preset's pretty important there, uh, boys and girls, in case you've decided to just, you know, buy a Bugatti on your Amex. But the bottom line is everybody's got a credit limit. And if you want to extend that credit limit, you need to ask. And it's okay for a credit card company to say to you, well, look, do you have a job? Because I don't really want to raise this credit limit if you have absolutely no chance to pay this money back. That's where we are today between two parties, one of which is asking for pretty reasonable cuts. The other, I think he thinks he's having a pancake breakfast. I don't even know what he's doing. He'll likely fall asleep in his sausage and wake up with syrup all over his face. We'll see how that works out today between Biden and McCarthy. It's the Glenn Beck program. 888-727-BECK is the phone number. We're in snowy Texas, which apparently exists like once a year. We'll be back with more here in just a minute. The Glenn Beck program. American Financing NMLS 182334 www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org Let's say you have a credit card and your balance is $10,000. If you only make the minimum payment amount, how long do you think it'll take to pay that off? The answer, unfortunately, is eight and a half years. And that's crazy because by the time you pay it off, you'll have paid so much in compounding interest. You can't let something like that happen, especially when there are options available. And the best among these that I've found is American Financing. 
You should give them a call today and just see if they can help. They're saving the average customer now about $695 a month. That's kind of a lot. So don't wait around to get started. Call American Financing now. Their salary-based mortgage consultants can help guide you through the entire process and create a custom loan that will align with your financial goals. No hidden fees, no upfront fees, no gimmicks. Just call them. American Financing, 800-906-2440, AmericanFinancing.net. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn and save yourself 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck program. It's Stu uh, having flashbacks to, I don't know, March and April 2020. No one's out in the street. No one can do anything here in Texas. There's frozen water on the ground, and that means everything shuts down. So we're having all sorts of uh, technical difficulties. No one can get in and out of their homes at this point. I mean, you can, I guess. I mean, I just, I keep looking outside and I think to myself, this is pathetic. I used to live in the Northeast. I grew up in Connecticut and New York. Uh, What is this? Uh, What do you mean we can't? I don't even understand it, frankly. But um, this is what we have here in Texas. We, we don't have salt trucks. We don't have sand trucks. We've got nothing. We have no plows. We have nothing. So when this happens, we just turn into April 2020. We turn into six weeks to stop the spread. And we all just stay home and look outside and, and think about what life could be. And that's what we're doing right now. Glenn's going to be joining us here and there with uh, his uh, technical situation at his home. I mean, look, you know, the guy... You know, pray for his financial situation. He just said he doesn't have enough money to get good internet. You know, he's on dial-up. The poor guy. He's on net zero. He's got net zero internet at his home. And he's trying to, he's trying to do a national radio show on net zero, which went out of business, I think, 12 years ago. So it's difficult for him to get online. He, he's got 2,600 baud modem. And uh, he's trying the best that he can, but uh, might be a problem for him. So we're going to be, uh, I'll be with you, taking you through everything uh, today. And one of the situations I was thinking about as I was going through the debt ceiling conversation and thinking about how this always plays out the same way, no matter what happens here, we're not going to be happy with it. Certainly, if Democrats have to sign off on it, it's not going to be our utopia. And we don't know how the Republicans will hold the line on this. Will they actually utilize this moment to get meaningful concessions? Or will this be like every other time where, I mean, maybe I guess in the Tea Party era, you can argue there was the one time where Republicans really held the line on this and got some meaningful spending cuts, which largely did materialize for a few years. It's one of the reasons why Obama's financial records uh, from his administration don't look as terrible as they could have. It's because Republicans held the line pretty strongly on spending. So they did not give Obama the sort of leeway that most Democratic presidents get. And that was one of the you know successes you can point to pretty clearly in the through the Tea Party era. But one thing that we will do is we will look at Republicans that are already in office. And we will say, we need to improve those Republicans. We need to say, these guys aren't doing the job that we want them to do. They're not holding the line on the on fiscal issues or anything else. And we need to do better. And we complain about this all the time. And typically what we do is we will primary a bunch of Republicans and then get what I think could fairly be 
summarized as mixed results. Sometimes we hit home runs. You know, Mike Lee came out of this process. Ted Cruz came out of this process. Rand Paul came out of this process, at least in one variation of it or another, where you get really good senators. They come in and, generally speaking, do a really good job. And you're happy with them for years and years and years to come. And then there's the other side of this, where you come up with a candidate that maybe isn't so strong, or you come up with a candidate who's a big letdown, or you come up with a candidate that wins the primary and then loses the general. Nobody wants that. I feel like we've tried this over and over again, and we keep coming back to these same hurdles. Hurdles that look like you know, catastrophe, <laughs> frankly. It means instead of having a pretty bad Republican, you wind up with a really bad Democrat. And at some level, that might pay long-term dividends where you get someone who's been in the seat forever out. You got to deal with, you know, six years of a Democrat, which is terrible. But then, okay, at the end of the day, maybe you get a better candidate. But I thought to myself, why don't we think this out a little bit this time? Why don't we come up with a system, a way of looking at this that can identify the best candidates to target in primaries? Why wait? Until this all plays out six months, a year down the line. And then we all realize, oh, geez, this one's not doing, this one's a great one, but this one's not doing well at all. We should, we should, we should have, we should have come up with somebody else. Why not think about this in advance? Why not think about this as sort of a priority list? Which candidates in the Senate should be primaried? Because look, we can all complain about Susan Collins, and I do all the time. We can complain about Susan Collins over and over and over again, and I do. She's terrible as a Republican. She she is, at some level, better than Chuck Schumer. Now, you might say, not enough. She's not that much better. And I, you know, look, I would agree, not enough. But certainly, she will vote the right way on certain things. We've seen, you know, some of these spending bills blocked because 50 senators, all of them held together to block them. Um, you know, or, you know, with a little bit of help from uh, Joe Manchin for a while, I guess, until he flaked. But having 52, 53, 54, 55 senators makes a big difference. And even if some of those aren't so great, if you're in a purple state, maybe you can live with it. If you're in a blue state, maybe you can live with a Susan Collins or at least tolerate a Susan Collins. If you primary Susan Collins and you come up with a really good conservative, there's a good chance that conservative loses in the general. So there's three questions you really need to ask here. Number one, which incumbent senators running for a re-election on the Republican side are the least conservative? Identify those first. That might be the only step we've done in the past. Uh, I think we should go beyond that, though. The second step is, if you primary them, if you spend resources and time and and you get activists working on the conservative side, can you actually win the primary? Is this task you're taking on a winnable task? And we're just looking for the low-hanging fruit here. What's the easy stuff to do? What are the improvements we can make to the Republican caucus, the Republican group, that can make the country better to fall back to more of a conservative constitutionalist mindset? And how can we do that through the most low-hanging fruit possible. So, 
if we primary them, can this candidate actually win the primary? And if we find a good Republican conservative candidate, can they actually win the general if they win that primary? That's an important step. You need to be able to look at this and say, okay, this state is a good target because we've got a crappy senator there already on the Republican side. They're not all that popular in their state among Republican voters anyway. And if we get a conservative through that primary process, they can actually win the general election. So there are nine candidates that are running for re-election on the Republican side right now. Nine. Which ones are the best to take out? To go after in a primary process that you could defeat them and then win in the general election afterward. So starting out with who's the least conservative. What I did here, I didn't want to just say, okay, I think this person's conservative. I don't think this person is. I went through and looked at all the ratings agencies that kind of do this type of thing. Conservative Review, which is, uh, you know, uh, they're part of this. Uh, they've been doing this for a very long time. They have a, a score. They go after and say, how conservative are you? FreedomWorks does this. Uh, American Conservative Union does this. Some others as well. And looked at this and said, okay, let's compile all these results together. Who is the most conservative? Who's the least conservative? The most conservative of the nine, according to that list, is Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, of course, from Texas. Uh, next up, Marsha Blackburn, very conservative from Tennessee. Next up, Rick Scott, third most conservative from Florida. John Barrasso from Wyoming. We're sort of in this category here of like, these are people that, why would you want to spend lots of resources? They're pretty much doing a good job already. You might have your quibbles with them here or there, but they're generally speaking pretty conservative and should be our lowest priority targets here. Next up, Deb Fisher, middle of the pack from Nebraska. Josh Hawley from Missouri, whose voting record, you know, he makes a lot of splash in the media. Uh, his voting record, not necessarily as conservative as some might think. Then toward the most uh, towards the most vulnerable here, the ones that you would target because you believe they're the least conservative according to their voting records. Third place, least conservative, Roger Wicker from Mississippi. Second place, Kevin Kramer from North Dakota. And the least conservative on the list by a pretty significant margin. Not all that close, boys and girls. The least conservative on the list, Mitt Romney from Utah. Now that's just part of what we're doing here. We need to next look at if we primary them, can we win the primary? And the way we looked at this is basically, what is the approval rating for these senators among Republicans in the state, the people who will be casting the votes in these primaries? If they're super popular in their state, it's going to be hard to beat them. So where do these guys stand? Now, just to give you a little bit of a perspective, Typically, these approval ratings will go between 60 and 80 uh, percent. Very, uh, very infrequently do you have someone who's legitimately unpopular among their own party. 60 percent is pretty bad. 80 percent, generally speaking, pretty good. So here's the here's the rundown of these nine Republicans. Best approval rating, John Barrasso, 79 percent. Marsha Blackburn is at 78 percent. Ted Cruz, 75 percent. Kevin Kramer, 73 percent. Rick Scott, 72%. Josh Hawley, also 72% among Missouri Republicans. Deb Fisher, 66%. We're getting into rough territory here. You shouldn't be in the 60s on this number. This is your own party. Uh, Roger Wicker, only 63% for Roger Wicker. And I want to make sure you understand this. Most of the time, these numbers are between 60 and 80%. But who is the least popular among their own voters 
in the state by an incredible margin. This is not a misprint. This is not a mistake. I checked it multiple times. Approval rating for Mitt Romney in Utah among Republicans, 41%. He's 22 points behind the entire rest of the field. Mitt Romney is very vulnerable to primary in Utah. And then the last question, if we win the primary, can we win the general? So, this is an interesting one. What's the the hardest one to to uh, to win in? And I would say these states are all very winnable. To 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 give you this list quickly, but Rick Scott is the hardest in Florida, and and, and Florida is a technically a purplish state, though Ron DeSantis keeps making making it look very red recently. Ted Cruz in Texas again is one of the harder states to win in the general. So really, any of these candidates you can get through. Just to give you the list: Rick Scott, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Roger Wicker. I mean, Roger, Mississippi is one of the hardest states to win if you can get a, someone through this primary. That's how ridiculous this list is. Deb Fisher, Mitt Romney, Marsha Blackburn, Kevin Kramer, and the easiest would be John Barrasso. But they're all easy. These are all easy races to win if you get a candidate through the primary into the general. So we compiled this into a big formula, ran the numbers a bunch of times, and came up with the final list. Who should we primary? The least... Interesting to primary on this list. Number nine, Ted Cruz. He's a conservative guy. Uh, he's a red state. Uh, and he's already popular. Very little reason to primary Ted Cruz here. If you don't like him, you could do this. I mean, it's up, up to you. If you want to support someone else, you want to vote for someone else, there's no problem with that. You make your own decisions. But just technically speaking, the least benefit comes from primarying a Ted Cruz. Next up, Rick Scott. Number eight. Seventh on the list, Marsha Blackburn. This is the this top third of the list, really solid. There's no real reason to go after these candidates. I think you leave them there. The middle of the list, I would categorize as people, if you come up with a perfect candidate, if you got someone unbelievably strong, there's no reason not to do it. And the main reason I would say that is because you're going to win these races if you get the conservative through the primary. So if you want to primary them, you know, if you have a good candidate in your state, go for it. Uh, Josh Hawley's number six. John Barrasso's number five, Deb Fisher number four. That's the middle of the list. Then you get to the people that, you know what? We can just do better. We can frankly do better. Number three, Roger Wicker. Is there any reason to have a mediocre to bad voting record in a state like Mississippi? Again, I can deal with it at some level in a state like Maine. I can deal with... You know, the days of Scott Brown in, in Massachusetts didn't make me happy all the time, but a Republican in Massachusetts, you take what you can get. In Mississippi, the bright red Mississippi, we have to deal with a mediocre voting record. The same thing applies to Kevin Kramer in North Dakota. Why are we not getting a real solid constitutionalist in a state like North Dakota? We can do better in a state like North Dakota. You can see massive improvements in states like this if you just find the right candidate. It doesn't have to be a perfect candidate in these states because of the fact these guys have rec voting records that are much worse than the other candidates. But I will say, and you might know, the, the suspense may be killing you or you may know exactly the name who tops our list. And it wasn't even remotely close. Utah is a bright red state. Any Republican should be able to win there that is competent at all. The Republicans or Democrats tried all sorts of tricks in this past election to try to beat Mike Lee, and they still got blown out. 
There's no reason to not have a great senator from Utah, Mitt Romney, the number one target in the 2024 primaries from Stu here at Stu Does America and the Glenn Beck program. So I like to be uh, what they call an ideas man. And I got a good idea. All of these leftists are embracing the cancel culture. So if you can't beat them, join them. Today is your opportunity to cancel your left-leaning cell phone provider and make the switch to America's conservative cell phone carrier, its Patriot Mobile. They now offer service with all three major networks, which means if you're with the big three and you like their service but you hate their values, stop giving them the money. You can access them (laughs) without giving them all that cash with Patriot Mobile. Now, this comes with a performance guarantee. If you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch among the big three major carriers for free. Patriot Mobile shares your values. Your hard-earned money should not go towards the destruction of America. Get great cell service right now. 100% U.S.-based customer service team will make switching really easy at PatriotMobile.com slash Beck or call them at 878-PATRIOT. 878-PATRIOT. PatriotMobile.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck. Triple eight seven twenty seven B E C K is the phone number. Is Gl- the Glenn Beck program with Stu? Maybe we can bring in Pat Gray for a little bit here. See if he what he's got going on as well today. Uh, it's coming up here on the program. You can get in line as well on on the phones. Triple eight seven twenty seven B E C K and join Blaze TV. Blaze TV slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Get Pat Gray Unleash this program every day and Stu does America. The Glenn Beck program.